Hunt, oh. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunt Lift Heat podcast and the God damn it, this, this already got me fucked up. Started too soon. All right. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunt Lift Eat podcast and this week's episode of Tuesday Tips. I'm Carter McKenzie here with your hosts, Perry and Luke. I'm the host, to clarify. Well, this week I'm the host, so. No. Fuck you, Luke. He put me you first. You said Perry's the host and Luke. It's Luke and Perry. This, <laughs> this show's Suck host it, Perry and co-host Luke Cox. <laughs> Hell yeah. You should do this oh, more man. often, Carter. <laughs> I kind of dig when you guys do it. It's it's way better. It sounds better when you guys fuck it up than when I do. Takes the pressure off. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's the world's tired of hearing you fuck up, so it's time for us to carry the burden a bit. <laughs> yeah, the world and my wife both. Yeah. <laughs> Preacher to the choir here, man. So, yeah, uh, the last three episodes of Tuesday Tips have kind of been split up, either like hunting, lifting, or eating. And I think today we're just going to kind of go uh, – any topic, I, I think we. I just want the tips to be whoever's on. They're just going to do the tips, whatever they're thinking. I don't think we need to kind of segregate them based on subject. So uh, we'll, we'll start off with with Perry. I know he's got a pretty good tip when it comes to kind of your preseason scouting and your preparation for the season. Yeah, so now is the time of year when a lot of guys, myself included, I know you boys as well, are thinking about the hunts we're going to be doing this year, trying to figure out game plans, um, where we're going, what tags we've got, et cetera. And I mean, I don't know about y'all. Every time I feel like every time I turn on the hunting podcast, um, you always hear someone talking about e-scouting and like, that's great. Um, but a lot of times I know a lot of our listeners are, you know, relatively young and into the world of hunting, maybe don't have uh, a ton of experience. And I, I was, the term e-scouting was something that, you know, I kind of had to familiarize myself with, but Basically, what it means is getting proficient with learning the different tools that are out there um, in terms of some of the some of the mappings, the spatial mapping uh, applications and programs that you have available. And so my tip is not necessarily to do e-scouting. That's great. And if you already know what e-scouting is and you're familiar with, you know, a lot of these these programs and this process, then you know, great, you know, good on you. This is not necessarily for those guys. This is for the guys that maybe don't have that, um, that expertise yet. So what I would encourage you to do is get familiar with the programs. There's a lot of good programs out there, you know, obviously Onyx, um, other mapping applications, but then there's also free stuff. Uh, Google earth is a great resource. Um, you can download Google earth pro pretty sure it's free. And the great thing about it is, is you can, look at a timeline of different aerial photos um, from, you know, current all the way back to, uh, you know, a couple of decades ago, back, back to the nineties. So familiarize yourself with how to pick apart an aerial map, how to pick apart a topo map, learning to read on, on topo, the difference between, you know, ridges, valleys, bottoms, um, you know, your spur ridges, your points coming down, just getting proficient with being able to quickly, uh, relatively quickly because it, it is a bit of a process, but um, take some of this, this spatial mapping software and applications that are out there and use it to dissect and plan a strategy for your upcoming hunts. It's something that a lot of guys talk about, but um, I don't necessarily think the, you know, 
the nitty gritty of how you actually do that is something that is discussed. Yeah, that's a great tip because uh, a lot of folks don't understand that they don't know how to read a map. And it's something that I definitely take for granted uh, just with my background in the military. Obviously, we've done a lot of land nav stuff. And I think you don't really get taught that in the, your regular life. And a lot of people, it's a skill a lot of people, you know, folks don't have. They're used to the GPS. And so having the understanding, there's a lot of resources online where they teach you how to do that. But honestly, I think the best way to do it is to get your whatever imagery you're going to utilize, whatever map, uh, your topo, all that stuff, look at it, scout, and then go to that ground and scout on the ground. Cause then you've got the picture in your head of what it looks like. And then you're going to see it on the ground and you're going to start to understand like, okay, this dark, this dark, you know, bit of timber where it really darkens up on the topo. And then the contour lines are pushing down like, Oh, that's a thick draw. That might be some good elk bedding habitat uh, or, or, you know, whatever. And you can go and you can start to train it by seeing it. And you, when I truly learned how to read contour lines is when I was in high school and I was hiking the Appalachian trail. And it's because I wanted to know what the next day looked like. And I started to realize what those contour lines meant as far as the tr train and topography. And so like getting that real world practical application is going to be huge. So like learn it, the skills, and then actually apply it during your scouting. It's going to make and pay huge dividends. Absolutely. And I think what you said is the ground truthing is a great way to do that. If, if you're not comfortable with looking at a topo map, then pull an area up and go out there and actually see what these topo, you know, topographical features look like with your own two eyes or better yet. And I tell you something that, you know, that I love to do is if you have a piece of property that you're familiar with, um, but you've never actually studied it from a topo map, then pull it up and look at it. You, if, you, if it's your family farm or, you know, a lease that you've had for, for years and you've had access to pull up the topo, see what it looks like, learn how to read, you know, these, these different contours, these different features on the landscape. And then that'll give you that much more proficiency when you're going to a new place, um, somewhere you're not familiar with. Um, and the same can be said with aerial photographs. And a lot of it, a lot of it may, you know, be stuff that's relatively common sense. But, you know, for example, if you're looking at an aerial photograph in, in the winter and, you know, the, you got dark, dark signatures, dark green signatures, you know, those are, that's a coniferous, um, you know, if it's a forested area, it's a coniferous Forest that's a big because, word. I don't think your brother can spell it. Oh, he definitely can't. <laughs> no doubt. But it's one of those things. An, an oak forest looks a lot different than a pine forest in the wintertime. And it looks a lot different on an aerial map in the wintertime. And it's a, it's a pretty easy distinction to make. But if it's not something that you're familiar with, you may not have you know thought about it that way. So just those types of little things. Get comfortable with it. Get familiar with the different applications that are out there. Take advantage of the resources you have, and I think you'll be better off for it. Learning that difference can be huge because, you know, like a species like whitetail, they love those transition areas. And so if you can see those transition lines between, you know, your, you know, your conifers to your, your eastern deciduous, like you're, that's going to be fairly significant to where you're going to be able to know I'm going to target these lines and then I can see the topo and be able to read the topography and those ridge lines. And you can really start to dissect bedding very quickly uh, and really eliminate significant portions of land as far as your scouting goes. So that like learning that is huge. And the only thing I can add to that is out West, it was a totally new world to the concept of like roads being closed 
to the public. And so e-scouting can help with that immensely, knowing what roads you are straight up not allowed to drive down because whatever, this mining company company has a lease on this 100,000 acres and you are trespassing if you drive down this road, even if you look at the map and it looks like just it's a normal road that you can drive down. So using those resources like Perry's talking about is uber important um, so you don't end up in jail. So what you got on deck for us, Carter? All right. So uh, the tip that I have for you guys, well, I got two. I got two mini tips. It is uh, far less intensive and maybe a little less useful than the one Perry gave you. But I'm going to hit you guys with my favorite go-to wild game marinade that I use all the time. Showstopper. I mean, change people's lives good. And then uh, before I get to that, um, everybody who's listening to this, who cooks and hunts, like, you know, if you want to get more involved in your, uh, and your, you know, your craft in the kitchen, um, and using your wild game to its fullest extent, everybody needs to be growing an herb garden, like minimum, no matter where you are, you can grow an herb garden, whether you live in an apartment or a house, whether you're renting, whether you own, everybody can own, uh, and have an herb garden and everybody should, you can have a box, um, on your windowsill in an apartment. I've done it like that. I've done it through, uh, you know, windows that get maximum sunlight in my house, um, before I own my own place. So everybody needs to have an herb garden. And, you know, if you're talking to me, obviously the only herb that you need to grow, and if you're not growing it, you're wrong is rosemary. So everybody needs to have rosemary in their garden whatever size or stage that is where you're at. But um, a couple key staples that you need to have in your garden. Cause like paying Publix for like herbs is stupid. Grow them yourself. You can do it all year. Keep it in your house. Keep They're it in crazy window. overpriced. Yeah. Keep it in your house and yeah, a window that has sunlight. Easy. You need thyme. You need rosemary. You need sage. You need oregano. That's it. There's your, there's your four. Cilantro, if you're into that. I know like 50% of the population thinks cilantro tastes like soap, but you guys are the dumb 50% because cilantro is fucking delicious. Well, once again, Luke and I are going to disagree on a podcast because I am part of that 50%. I think cilantro is garbage, so don't grow it. Luke Perry, what are your thoughts cilantro. on cilantro? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Dude, uh, I could, two to one, you lose. I could dip <laughs> cilantro, man. I love that shit. I put it on tacos, burgers, sandwiches. Fucking yeah. love it. I know that uh, I know, Perry. You love uh, taking care of the neck meat on a deer. I know personally that's one of your favorites. So, like neck roast tacos is one of my favorites. Slow so roast them and then make like poor man's carnitas out of it. Um, yeah, so rich man carnitas, son. Venison's fucking high dollar meat. <laughs> cilantro and raw onions got to be on it. I'm with you. Absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm with you. Um, and so my my second, I guess my like real tip. That's going to be on the list. So uh, if you need a pen and paper to write this down, this is my go-to uh, marinade that I use for all wild game. Um, I am probably never consistent with the ingredients that are actually on the list. Um, so the first thing you need, you cut your, well, it's really good for kebabs too, but if you cut your game into cubes, Throw them into like a gallon Ziploc bag, maybe stab them with a fork first. <clears throat> I don't know if that actually makes a difference or not, but um, it seems to taste good every time. So you're going to need soy sauce, um, 
about a half a cup of soy sauce. Um, you're going to need some lemon juice, maybe, I don't know, two tablespoons of lemon juice, maybe like half, half of a lemon, something like that. Um, vegetable oil acts as a binder, kind of helps everything stick to uh, the meat really well. So maybe two, I don't know, two tablespoons of that in the bag. Um, you're going to need brown sugar. And I usually add like a, you know, quarter cup of brown sugar um, as a really nice, you know, accent to the citrus um, going in the bag. And I like to throw in uh, garlic and ginger, both in the same bag. Um, and so if I'm cheating, I get the little squeeze tubes from the grocery store. That's like my little pro tip. If you just want to get the squeeze tubes and I use this marinade all the time, I use it for duck. I use it for, you know, venison. I use it for Turkey. I use it for steak. I use it for chicken. I use it for everything. Um, so little garlic, a little bit of, uh, ginger as well. Um, and then throw that in the bag and then leave it out on your counter room temperature. Don't put it back. Don't put it back in the kitchen or back in the fridge. Um, leave it room temperature, let it sit on the counter and then maybe flip it. Um, sometimes I leave it out for two hours. Um, and I'm, I'm telling you it's prime time and it costs nothing. It takes, you know, zero thought process to go through these ingredients. It's something you should have in your kitchen at all times. Anyways. Um, it's easy to throw it together and, you know, especially for people who don't eat a lot of uh, wild game very often, this is a you know very crowd pleasing way to marinate something, throw it on the grill, throw it in the cast iron, um, whip it up real quick, and impress people with your kill. I'm glad you said ginger. That's actually something that is, in my opinion, highly underrated when it comes to cooking wild game because, like I said, you can't. It is versatile. You can use it for for white meat, for red meat, you know, whatever. I never really used to use ginger, but recently I've started incorporating it into a lot of my cooking and dude, I love it. And I think it's a phenomenal accent to, uh, to a lot of different wild game dishes. It's great. And the roots cheap at the grocery store and you can slice it real thin and you know, it's not overpowering and you can keep it in your fridge for a while. So you can get your money's worth. Hell yeah. I'll have to try that out. Sounds, sounds pretty good. My go-to marinade, because I'm extremely lazy, is I just throw Worcestershire sauce in a bag on top of whatever I'm going to eat, and then I rub it later, right, right before I cook it. So, I thought you were going to say bourbon and Coke. <laughs> I'm not in college anymore. Coors Light. <laughs> yeah. I do, uh, I have cooked a lot of game meat in Coors Light, uh, but now that, uh, Worcestershire sauce is great, super versatile, simple, but I do think that, especially for folks that, uh, I haven't really been introduced to game meat. That's a great way to have a little bit more of those flavor profiles. I might be more familiar with like the soy, a little bit of that sugar, have that sweet, you know, you're balancing it with a little bit of the citrus. Um, and then I think, I, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued with the ginger. That sounds pretty, uh, I honestly, I've not done anything with ginger since I was like in college and I was making ginger tea. Cause I lost my voice cause I was screaming at the freshman so much. So, uh, that that's pretty intriguing. I'll have to, to add some ginger to the old profile there for, my marinades. Yeah, it's pretty unbeatable, man. And you know, you can do this at home, Luke. And once you start pulling some zucchinis and onions and bell peppers out of your garden, you can throw them on a kebab skewer and, you know, cook them on the grill. And I mean, it's easy. Get some fresh veggies and some wild game right there. Uh, that's a real sensitive subject because my entire garden, uh, other than, so my zucchini and squash and cucumbers are thriving, but my tomatoes, the 
four varieties I have, the nine varieties of peppers, and everything else other than the blackberries are fucking dying, and I can't figure out what is going on. I don't know if it's like the cool nights in Colorado, the fucking extra UV from the sun. I've tried to move things more into shade. I don't know. This is a total side tangent, but gardening in Colorado is proving to be very difficult. So, yeah, I remember when we lived there, my parents complained all the time. I think it's the dry heat. Dude, my peppers are just droopy all the just time. Saps all the moisture. Well, and I've, I've been watering them, but then I feel the soil. It's not super dry once you get past like a couple inches. So I don't, I don't want to overwater. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. Like the soil composition isn't the best because it's a lot of horse manure that's not super composted. So like, I, I don't know if like I'm fucking up there. I don't know. I don't know where I'm at, but it's really bothering me. But I'm going to roll to our, my tip because clearly I'm not going to teach you guys about fucking gardening. Uh, my tip has, uh, is, is really kind of, I guess it's applicable to any kind of honey, uh, in any kind of backcountry stuff or any kind of really outdoor stuff in weather. And I'm going to talk about layering systems. Um, this is something you see a lot of guys, even in the army struggle with a lot of guys in the backcountry struggle with, they don't actually guys and gals, they don't understand how to build a layering system. And it's not a one-stop shop, but there's a few rules of thumb you can utilize. And then it kind of comes down to personal preference. So I'm going to tell you guys how I like to build it out. Uh, I'm going to start with my base layers and then work my way up and then like different environments and like what my system looks like for backcountry hunting. Um, so I'm a shorter dude, pretty thick. So like thick body, thick legs, I run pretty hot. So like um, what my layering system looks like, I usually I'm just wearing uh, some sort of synthetic blend pants, um, darn tough uh, merino wool socks with whatever boots I have, usually uninsulated if I'm going to be moving. If I'm going to be static, I'll wear, like if I'm just going to sit in glass and I know I'm not going to be walking very far, then I'll wear uh, some insulated rubbers or insulated uh, hikers. Um, but if I'm moving, I do not want insulated boots at all. Cause I just run hot. I will sweat through those boots very quickly. Uh, I usually don't wear any base layers. If I know I'm going to be moving under my pants, but if I know I'll be moving or if I'm not going to be moving, then I will, if I'm going to be sitting in a tree stand, I'll put on just uh, some sort of synthetic kind of that wicking thin material, uh, base layers thin with my synthetic pants. So my torso is where I build a little more layers out. I use a synthetic, um, base layer that has a built-in net gator and hood. And when I first got that, I didn't think I was going to like it, but I absolutely love it because it is very versatile. One, you have a built-in face mask. If you're like bow hunting and you forget, like you don't want to paint up or whatever else. And then two, it just for extra warmth. Same way you throw that, that, uh, little hood on. I want to run synthetic for my upper body base layer because it dries quickly. I know Merino is all the hotness right now, but the problem with Merino uh, Merino is great for a lot of things. Uh, it doesn't stink. It's antimicrobial. Uh, even, you know, th- there's this thing that's like, oh, everybody always says like, oh, hey, if your wool is wet, it'll still keep you warm. No, 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 no. It'll keep you from freezing to death. It will not keep you warm. Wet clothes are still fucking wet clothes. So, so like, you're still going to be miserable. It's just going to insulate you to the point that you're not going to die. And so, like, people that say that probably haven't been in wet wool. Wet wool is still not comfortable. Uh, so, why I like a base layer that's synthetic is that it dries very quickly. And so my next layer is then going to be my Merino layer. So I want the Merino layer for the next layer, but what's close to my skin and touching me is the synthetic because it will wick and then dry. And then the Merino layer can then absorb some of that moisture and then will then dry. And then I usually have some sort of shell, uh, like a windbreak shell. And then I have a puffy 
and like a raincoat. I never really wear them in that order, right? But I did one time with Carter and I on our fucking uh, hunting trip to Wyoming where we were in like, I don't know, 85 mile an hour gusts with snow and it was absolutely miserable. I looked like the fucking Michelin man, but I was toasty as hell. I know you and uh, you and Spencer were probably ready to get out of there, but I was snug as a bug with all that shit on me. Yeah, that puffy last layer is something I'm, I'm intentionally going to add this year because I've been missing that. I mean, it makes a huge difference when you have those cutting winds and the cold, cold temperatures. That that puffy is a game changer. Yeah, a, a down jacket uh, with some sort of water-resistant outer layer. You're not going to get waterproof, but you need some sort of water resistance because once down gets wet, one, it's extremely hard to dry, and two, it's worthless for insulation once it gets wet. Um, it makes a world of difference. Uh, puffies have their limitations. You know, I tore a hole in one of mine uh, this last hunting season, which sucks. They're not super durable, but they are extremely warm, and I think they're kind of a necessity for any sort of western hunting. And really, Easter, since I've got them even hunting in the tree stand, Life is so much better. I've spent the majority of my adult life or my hunting life like shivering in tree stands. In the past two years, I've been very comfortable since I built out this system. Yeah, I agree. I don't I obviously don't have the Western experience, but this year uh, was the first year that I utilized a puffy. And I tell you what, man, for that late season, um, December time frame hunting, even in you know the mountains of Virginia. Uh, it was a world of difference. I mean, I've always been kind of classic, you know, old school camo, just, just what we, you know, hand-me-downs and relatively cheap stuff that, that we got from, from Walmart or Academy or whatever, but having the right gear, having the right layering system, it it's worth the, it's worth the cost. Um, it's worth the investment. And it's one of those things that if you haven't, um, utilized yet, I definitely encourage you to because it will make your life a lot better, a lot more comfortable. Yeah, 100%. You don't have to spend the crazy money on Sika or Kuyu or First Light or whatever or Under Armour. I mean, I, I run Under Armour right now mostly because I got pretty good discounts on it, but like Under Armour is not the best either. But there's pros and cons to every brand. Um, but for Western hunting, especially, you don't have to be fucking camoed head to toe, especially Western rifle hunting. Uh, camo, I do think, is very beneficial with uh, whitetail hunting. It's not a necessity. There's guys like Donnie Vincent who like refuse to wear camo at this point, which is weird because he used to, but like now he doesn't. He hunts in like flannel. Fred Bear killed a lot of deer in flannel. Like you don't have to get wrapped up in the system as far as like being in the same system, but like the materials you use, you can buy similar things made out of the same materials that cost less like TJ Maxx, uh, Sierra trading post. It doesn't matter if your camo matches. I'm OCD. I want my shit to match. I think most guys do, but it doesn't, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Like get in the woods. You don't have to spend a ton of money. And then knowing when to wear what and how to apply it is extremely important. So like, for instance, right. Most folks, you know, I think most of our listeners are from the East, but we have a lot of Western hunters as well. But basically whether you're walking to your tree stand where you're getting ready to go walk up the mountain to get to your glassing point. It's the same, right? We've all started moving because it was so fucking cold and we put too many layers on and you get a quarter of a mile to wherever you're going and you're just sweating your absolute ass off. And it's because we put too many layers on. And so it's a big problem in the army as well, where guys will wear too many layers because they're cold whenever they're getting ready to move. And then we got to like kind of force them to take their shit off. Uh, 
a good rule of thumb is before you start walking, you should be uncomfortably cold. If you are uncomfortably cold before you start walking, you're good to go. Uh, it's your like base. And then like, if you're put your gloves on your beanie, and then if you start overheating, you pull those off and then your base is fine. Get to wherever you're getting the tree stand or to the glassing point where you know, you're going to stop and be static. Then put your layers on. Like I've got a funny picture of our boy, John, uh, sitting there. I think you've seen it, Perry, where he's wearing a set of like army tan waffle bottoms and tops. And that's it. Just sitting there in his long johns, walking out to the tree stand, like glassing through his binos, just looking ridiculous in his, his long johns. But like, that's the reality. Like sometimes you just got to roll out in damn near nothing. When, so you don't sweat your ass off. Cause if you sweat, you're going to be extremely cold. Even if you're utilizing the right base layers with those synthetics, uh, to wick the moisture away, like you're still going to be cold. And it's, you know, as someone who is, I'm a sweater. And like when you sit there and sweat through your shit and then you got to sit in a tree stand for five, six hours and you know, 20 to 20 to 30 degree weather, it's bad. But when you're moving, you will sweat in 15, you know, zero degree weather. You will, you, you will sweat once your body is uh, pumping that blood. Well, uh, we can do a quick recap and just run through uh, what everybody's was. Perry, you want to recap what your uh, tip was? Yeah, basically my tip is if you're out there looking to get familiar with a new piece of property, get some new hunts planned for this year, and um, you've heard all this, you know, going on about various e-scouting and not really comfortable with the process or, or really familiar with, with how to do that. Um, use the resources you have, Google earth, uh, Onyx, whatever, you know, spatial mapping you have, um, start studying aerial photographs, start studying topo maps. If you're not used to reading a topo map, uh, go out and do some ground truthing, um, on a property that you're familiar with. Um, just learn how to read the, the different contours, the different, landscape features that are there, um, learn how to pick apart ridges from, um, you know, flats from, uh, from bottoms, the different, you know, micro topography that can be out there, uh, get comfortable with looking at aerial maps, um, different vegetation types, forested, uh, different, uh, types of forest, whether it's, uh, um, coniferous hardwood, et cetera, field edges, um, drainages, et cetera. There's a lot of good resources out there and it's something that can make, um, if you're going to a new place you've never been before, can make a big difference. Um, just having a little bit of that baseline data. That's good shit. What about you, Carter? All right. Uh, grow your own herbs for sure. Easy. And then here down and dirty marinade, you need soy sauce, some kind of oil, vegetable oil, olive oil, whatever, garlic, ginger, brown sugar, lemon. Don't overthink it. Like I never think about like the amount of things in recipes or anything like that. Don't overthink it. It doesn't matter whether it's a cup or a teaspoon or like whatever, whatever, just do whatever feels right for you. But that's the, that's the easiest, easiest marinade crowd pleasing marinade that you're ever going to make. I mean, it's a no brainer, throw your shit in there, put it in a Ziploc bag, leave it on the counter go do whatever and then come back, throw it on the grill, throw it on the cast iron, cook it up in a pan inside. I mean, it's too easy. I mean, crowd pleaser. And like Luke mentioned earlier, it's really good for people that you're introducing to wild game. Yeah, it's a great one. I'll jump in real quick. You were talking about the different oils. 
uh, I would highly recommend like avocado oil. Your body processes it uh, significantly better than vegetable oil. And it's got a less strong of a flavor as your like high quality olive oils for meat. Um, so like a lot of folks use vegetable oil and in moderation, it's not gonna be that significant of an issue, but like you really want to stay away from your polyunsaturated fats, uh, fatty acids, your poofus, you, you can't process it and it throws off your entire metabolism, but that's, that's a great fucking recipe. I would just throw in probably some avocado oil there and crush it because that sounds delicious. And then to recap mine uh, real quick is just knowing your base layer is like, I mean, hit rewind. If you want me to talk through the whole thing, I won't bore you with the whole thing again, but just understand your kit. Like what I described is not necessarily hard and fast. You just need to do something similar, right? Um, don't use cotton. Don't put cotton close to your body. If you are going to use like a cotton fleece or something, have that like several layers out. So it's not getting wet because once it's wet, it loses all of its uh, insulating properties. So um, know your shit, train with it, practice with it, uh, build your system and hit it in the off season. It kind of rolls back to the tip that we had with, when Evan was talking about, he called it gear shakeout. It's like knowing your shit, build your layering system before you're actually hunting, because there's nothing worse than being on a hunt and freezing your ass off for eight hours in the tree stand or sitting there on a, you know, day two of a fucking six, seven day hunt in the West and realizing like, damn, I fucked up. Now I got to take a day out of my hunting to drive back down off the mountain and try to buy another layer or something else. So like work your shit out beforehand and know your layering system and know the limitations and the capabilities of the fabrics that you're utilizing, because there's no one-stop shop uh, for like synthetics they hold stink. Uh, they're not as insulating. Like there's problems with that, right? Merino's got a lot of shit, but then Merino doesn't try as quickly. Like there's different pros and cons that you can just kind of do your diligence and your research. But yeah, that's going to wrap up Tuesday tips. Uh, if you want to just look down to the show notes, if you want to get grab the social media shit for any of us or the, uh, the brand, I'm not going to roll through all that, but we appreciate the, how do you guys, this one was a little longer than usual. We'll going forward. We'll try to keep them around 20 minutes, but thank you guys. Definitely send us your feedback. We really want to know what you guys think of this, if we should keep doing it going forward or if we should just kill it. So we really need to know that. So let us know. And then if you guys have any tips that want to be featured, just go ahead and shoot them to us on Instagram and we'll shout you guys out and give the tips. We'll do a, a listener tips question or excuse me, listener tips episode probably in you know a few weeks. So definitely looking for that stuff. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate the hell out of you as always. And so does Perry and Carter Mike. Thanks y'all.